Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. So you guys know I'm actually recuperating right now. Uh, I had a a doctor friend of mine ask, he's like, hey, so have you been like sitting down while you're preaching? A couple of weeks ago I had surgery, I had my gallbladder removed, and he's like, have you been sitting down while you're preaching? And I'm like, no, should I? He's like, yeah, you should have. Like, like, like what are you doing? Like, all this, all this diaphragm movement and stuff. But, but many of you don't know, or may, if you do know, I, I was in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. I was at a missions convention, my wife and I. And uh, while we were there, I, I had some really, really bad indigestion. It was so bad that they were like, nope, it's not indigestion. We have to uh, take out your gallbladder. I'm trying to give you the, the skinny of what happened, right? So, so I, I get rushed to the hospital in the middle of the night, and uh, the, the doctor's like, yeah, we're going to have to operate. And I'm like, okay, I'll book my flight maybe earlier, and we'll get out. He's like, no, you can't get on a plane. We have to operate tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the hospital, it wasn't the greatest hospital, uh, but it was, it was a hospital, right? It was, it was better than an alley somewhere. So uh, we, we, we get in there, they, they, they start the operation, and, and I come out, I sleep for 22 hours. I'm literally out for 22 hours. It's the anesthesia, and uh, it was just, I don't know, maybe I just thought it was vacation. So I was out for a long time. When I come to, I finally wake, wake up, and the nurse is like, would you like to watch some TV to my wife and I? And I'm like, sure. So she hands me the remote. I turn on the TV. Nothing but Spanish channels. It's to be expected. We're in Mexico. So I'm watching Spanish, uh, just like telenovelas, and I'm getting super into it. And, and my Spanish is más o menos, right? It's, it's, uh, they, they ask, uh, hablas español, and I always say un poquito, right? Like a little bit, right? I'm not, I'm not that great. I should be better, but we'll just keep going because my parents are ashamed. But let's keep going. Um, <laughs> So, so I'm watching this, and I'm trying to catch every word, and it's, it's just getting really boring. Like four hours later, they go by, and after watching four hours of telenovelas, the, the, the nurse comes in, and she's like, uh, Senor, you, you, know, you know you can watch Netflix. I'm like, what? This whole time, I could have been watching Netflix and, and like binge watching something, and I've been watching like the news, and like the fourth time, a man gets slapped by a woman. Like, please, you could have came in here hours ago, and I could have started watching something that I like to watch. Like, I don't know about you, but my Netflix queue is full of, of just time wasters. Uh, I, I've got two things. I, I'm, I'm one extreme to the other. I'm su- my, my wife calls me, a, I'm like an uber nerd. I, I watch a lot of documentaries, things that are, uh, you know, mentally intriguing, keeping my mind thinking uh, and sharp, and then I have like just time wasters. Uh, I watch a lot of, uh, I don't watch a lot, but I go from extreme to extreme. My other extreme is cartoons. I'll watch Futurama and things like that because it's just one of those brainless activities that you can just put on and fall asleep. So I start watching that because, you know, I'm in the hospital. I don't want to get my mind all going. I just want to relax. I'm kind of in pain. So I'm watching uh, timeless or uh, time-wasting things, and uh, the nurse comes in, and she looks at me, and she looks at the TV. She looks at me, and then she looks at the TV, and then she shakes her head. And I knew that was my cue to probably stop watching cartoons and put on something that I won't get judged over. So then I, I switched it to, to, to my, 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 my other favorite thing, which is documentaries, history, nature. David Attenborough, that's my boy. Like me and David Attenborough, we go back. Uh, Planet Earth commentator, the narrator for com- oh, that guy, he puts me to sleep. It's so beautiful. I've watched Planet Earth like 5,000 times. Every single time I, when I was in college during finals week, that's what I would, that was like my, 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 my uh, meditation. I put Planet Earth on the background and I just get better grades. So, uh, so I love documentaries and I started watching one on World War II. I'm a huge history buff. I, I enjoy history. So I'm, I'm watching this documentary on World War II and I, and I learned something. I, I learned that uh, they, they actually knew that there were concentration camps 
The Allied forces knew that Nazi Germany had concentration camps because, in fact, the Soviet Union, on their, on their western uh, offense, as they were attacking uh, Nazi Germany, they started finding these concentration camps. And, and what the, the Nazis would do is that they would only leave bits and pieces of it and take the people and march them more central towards the country. So as they came in and invade through Poland and they, they would move the, the, constant, the, the, the survivors of the Holocaust, the individuals, they would move them central to central Germany. So when the United States, they, they, their intel was telling them that there was such a thing as concentration camps, but they didn't believe that they were actually in existence because at that point in world history, nobody had committed those kind of atrocities. This is, that's the first like, humanitarian crisis, at least in the modern era. So when the American Allied forces came to their first concentration camp on April 4th, 1945, led by General Patton, uh, they, 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 were, they came to these concentration camps, and the moment they stepped on uh, in foot, at this point, Nazi Germany was starting to collapse, and so were the concentration camps. The gates were completely dilapidated and falling in on themselves, and when they get in there, there's only a few guards, and they see bodies, they see death everywhere. In fact, this is the report that we read about when General Patton wrote to pre or called President Truman. He said this, horrifying death decay, disease everywhere. These poor souls experience what none ever should. A large tragedy, he continues on, and I don't believe he's trying to be insincere or, or cold-hearted when he say this. I think he's just trying to grasp what, what he's seeing for the first time. And when we see these in history books, we, we're accustomed to this but this is the first time he's seeing these situations. He says this, a large tragedy is that by the time we arrived, the condition of the camp was so broken down that the imprisoned victims, that the Jews could have marched out of the front gates. I don't believe he's being cold-hearted here. Now, we know history tells us the, the malnourishment, the the, just the horrible, horrendous living conditions that, that the Holocaust survivors were in. But the fact remains, by the time the Allied forces came to liberate many of the concentration camps post-1945, the conditions of those camps were so broken down, they could have easily just walked out. But why didn't they? Why didn't they? I think we find out in psychology, psychologists would discover or term this coin that, that really happened there is a condition known as learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. It's, it's the, the condition or the, the powerless behavior displayed by a person who after multiple failed attempts at freedom learns to accept their situation. You see, the, the Jews did try to escape. They, they did try to survive. They, they tried multiple times. I and mean, we see moments in history, but after so many failed attempts, there's something that happens in the human psyche where the individual in the group identifies and says, we are helpless. So even though the gates were broken down and they could have just stormed right out there, after so many failed attempts at freedom, they learned to accept their faith or their fate, even though it wasn't the reality. You see, much like the disheartening story of the Jewish men and women in World War II concentration camps who were so defeated that they, that they, that they lost sight of what the reality was, that they could have just walked out of there, spiritually, friends, we too can sometimes fall victim to this learned helplessness. 
where we get so accustomed to our circumstances and we get so accustomed to our situations and we say, I'm always gonna think like this and I'm always gonna talk like this and I'm always gonna make this amount of money and I'm always gonna be at this condition spiritually and I'm always gonna you know, have this vice and I'm always gonna have this addiction. I'm always gonna be this way because after so many failed attempts at finding freedom, this is who I am. But I'm here to tell you that during this season of prayer and fasting, God's aim and objective for us is to find freedom. During this season of praying and fasting, God wants to deliver you of the things that you have just accepted in your life and said, I guess this is my life. I guess this is how I'm wired. He wants to come in and transform. The Bible says that God makes all things new, that he can transform your mind. He says that, 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 that your mind will be transformed. So I'm here to tell you that this season of praying and fasting, the Lord's desire for us is to take serious what we see the prophet Jeremiah say in Jeremiah 32, verse 27. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything, and I would say any situation, too hard for me? What is it that you're facing? What is it that during this season of prayer and fasting that you desire for the Lord to do through you and in you? Is there something that you have been fighting with and struggling with? Is there something that you have just accepted and said, this is, this is my lot in life. This is my, my burden to shoulder. I guess, I guess I will always be this way. I guess this will always be uh, an extension of my family or, or an extension of myself. The Lord would say, nothing is too hard for me. So I believe this, that an effect, an effect of prayer and fasting is transformation that the Lord transforms situations. What situation are you experiencing? Well, what's your condition right now? The Lord can transform anything. We're gonna jump into the word, but before we do, let's just take this moment and pray. Father, I pray that as we prepare ourselves for what you will speak to us through your word, as we, as we look to you, Lord, to speak to us, I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, give us exactly what we need to hear. You are the great physician, you are the doctor. You are our healer. May you give us the, the medicine of truth that we need this morning. May you illuminate our eyes to see. May you open up our ears to hear the words that you would speak to us, God. Lord, we want to see transformation in our lives. And Lord, we also pray that you'd be with the chiefs today. Give them victory. In Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hey, if you don't pray for it, it ain't going to happen. So we got to pray for that. Um, I'm, I'm a big Chiefs fan now that my bears are horrible because uh, really, I just tell myself Mahomes should have been ours, so I, I'll, just claim, I'll just claim him anyway. So anyway, I'm a Bears fan, but I'm also a Chiefs fan. They're my AFC team. Let's go Chiefs, right? Going for the Chiefs, even if you're a Broncos fan. Okay. <laughs> so we're in the season of fasting. We, we've defined fasting as this, abstaining from some things. Everybody say some things. Abstaining from some things for the purpose of embracing God. Now, some, some have come up to me and said, Pastor, I can't do the Daniel fast. Uh, it, it's just one thing that I, I, I can't do for medicinal reasons, but I'm going to fast social media. You can, fa you can do a fast that way. You can, you can do various kinds of fasts, but uh, for many of us, we are doing the Daniel fast, and we're taking this moment to abstain from some foods. Uh, the Bible would consider them choice foods. What, what's a choice food? That means when you open up your refrigerator, the first thing you go to, you can't eat. <laughs> so uh, you don't eat that. So, so it's really just, let's be honest, it, it's, it's a diet of fruits, veggies, 
everything but my big, my big, are, my big ones are no meat, no caffeine, uh, no sugar. That is tough. That is tough. Like by day three, I, like my arm was like so numb. <laughs> like I just couldn't go on and like I was just like crawling out of bed because I was like needing that caffeine. But uh, the Lord has been so good. The Lord has been so good. So we're, we're in this fast, a season of abstaining from some things for the purpose. This is the reason I'm embracing God. Uh, I'm drawing near to him. It's not a, a detox of, of, or at least a physical detox, even though that is a result of it. It's, it's a spiritual detox, really. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's enough of the things that I consider to bring me comfort that I rely on. I rely on coffee. Can I get an amen? Right? But, but no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying it's that. <laughs> I rely on Jesus. That's what, that's what the fast is for, to remind us of of who is our sustainer, who is the one who gives us strength, and it's, it's God and God alone. So we're in this fast, 21 days of praying and fasting, and we've said that when we look at the Daniel fast, found in the book of Daniel, we see two specific fasts, one in Daniel chapter one, where he fasts uh, literally choice foods, and he eats just fruits and veggies for a, a total like 10 days, and he finds that he went through that fast, there was a season of fasting, to just learn to be greater dependent on God to learn that he is more dependent on God than on anything else, anything that the, the king of Babylon could offer. So that is a fast of, of Lord, I, I'm depending on you. And then in Daniel chapter 10, he's given a vision. And, and that fast, that Daniel fast, is a fast for, for revelation. He's, he's trying to find clarity from God. So if you are in a position where you are needing some, some clarity or if you're learning, wanting to learn to trust on God more than on your finances and on your intellect and on any of your own wisdom, Lord, this is a great opportunity to be in this fast. So uh, the Daniel fast is for dependency on God and clarity from God. But I'm here to tell you this. More important than what you eat on the Daniel fast is whether or not you are praying during the Daniel fast. We need to be in prayer. Every time you, you feel those hunger pains come up and you're just like, oh, I can go for that. That Slim Jim is looking really good. Like, like in those moments, that, that, that's when the Lord would say, spend time with me. Let me satisfy. When you find yourself getting hangry and uh, you know, just getting upset and angry, because it happens, that's the moment where you pray, Lord, I'm, I need you to be my sustenance. I need you to be my provider. I need you to be my provision. Help me, carry me through this, Lord. And, and he does, and he shows up, and it's, it's invigorating. It's almost like we're, we're taking power back from, from our, our, our desires and wants, and we're saying, no, it belongs to Jesus. Amen? So why am I praying and fasting? I believe in this. God is gonna do powerful things in our church. He's gonna do powerful things in your life. And last week, we talked about the fast brings spiritual breakthrough how it removes the rut in our life and how it grows our faith and, and how it overthrows demonic stronghold. You can look and listen to that on the podcast. But, but this week, I'm here to say that, that fasting brings situation transformation. It rhymes, so I want everybody to say it. Say situation transformation. One more time. Situation transformation. Man, from my, play, from my point of view, it's just like crazy. Anyway, situation transformation, that, that when we fast, God will inter intervene in our situation, that he will change things, that the circumstances that we are facing through prayer and fasting, he can and will change things. Situation transformation is God's ability to intervene and change the circumstances of our daily lives. Now, if you would have spoke to me about 10, 15 years ago, when I was, when I was still questioning the, the, the truth of God, you know what, would have, what I would have said? 
I would have said there's no way God intervenes. You can't tell me that God intervenes in daily life. At, at first, I was probably considered an atheist. I, I thought that there was no God. And by the time I was an agnostic, I was like, well, may, maybe there is. I, I started seeing you know, life, and I was like, man, there, there's just no way this happened by accident. There's no way that this was just primordial ooze, primordial ooze that came out and sprung out from the waters and pr- produced all. Like, there's no way that this happens by happenstance. So I started thinking that maybe there is a God. But I told myself that if there is a God, he doesn't intervene in our daily lives. That if there is a God, he's created this world like a, a watchmaker puts together a watch. He, he designs it, puts in the cogs, he, he, he puts in every single wheel, the springs, and then he closes it and he, he sets the time and he, and he sets it aside never to intervene again. That is just an order. It, it doesn't do any, like he's created, he's, he's a God, he's all powerful. I believe that. But I don't believe that this God would have been all-knowing, that he wouldn't have been intervening, that he wouldn't be a God who intervenes in our daily lives. I also, uh, I'm here to tell you that we need to get some theological clarity, that maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you believe that God doesn't intervene. I'm here to tell you that, that our God does intervene. In fact, our God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. He, he's all-knowing. He is what theologians would consider or, or say omniscient. Everybody say omniscient. God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. Hebrews 14, tells us this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. God knows everything. Right? It's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school. God knows everything. God knows everything. It's, it's what we're trying to tell our, our, our uh, toddlers at home. God knows everything, right? You may be able to fool mommy and daddy, but God knows everything. We're trying to help them get a, a theological framework that, yes, mommy and daddy are the authority in the home, but there is a, a higher authority than us. It is God, and he knows all things. Now, mommy is really good at knowing when you're lying. Daddy has got no hope, but mommy is really good. But even when mommy, you know, the the two eyes behind her head, the moment those are closed, God still knows. He is all-knowing. He sits outside of time. He was never created. He has always existed. He is eternal. So he stands outside of time. And as one who sets outside of time, as one who's created time, he sees the beginning from the end. He knows the middle part and every single thing in between. And there is something about acknowledging the omniscience of God that should bring peace to our souls that tells us why am I in this little sliver of time so frustrated and so anxious about what I'm experiencing when the God I serve stands outside of time and knows the beginning from the end so the omniscience of God he knows the beginning from the end we need to allow us if we are going to be people who believe that God can intervene into our situations we need to stand on the solid premise that our God is omniscient he is all knowing secondly God has determined right he, he didn't just create time he has also determined many situations God has determined many situations. Now, if you are someone who was raised in a Calvinist tradition, you, you, would, you would be pausing here because you would be like, well, doesn't God determine everything, right? Is, isn't everything determined by God? 
Uh, did, didn't he cause all things to happen? And, and I would say we find ourselves, we, when, we, when we believe in that, we, we come up against, and if you're a Calvin, if you, if you lean Calvinist in, in your interpretation of Scripture, I love you, I'm glad you're here. That is not the way I personally view Scripture. You can still come to church, you can still uh, worship the Lord. When things happen, uh, you just believe that they were meant to be that way, right? But uh, I believe that God has determined not every situation, but many situations. Now, does that mean God doesn't know things are gonna happen? Absolutely not. He knows everything is gonna happen, but simply by his knowledge, his foreknowledge, does not mean he determined it to happen. When you believe God determined everything, you, you, you butt up against a moral quandary where you have to ask yourselves, does that mean he also determined things like what we talked about earlier, the, the Holocaust? Isn't that, isn't that a, uh, an effect on, on, on the goodness of God? Like, how, how, do we, how do we walk past that? And many of my, my Calvinist friends, when they're put up against that, that, that moral conundrum, they, they say, but God is still sovereign. And, and, I, and I kind of understand that, but, but I still butt up against, well, how do we walk through that? I, obviously, we know that there are things he has determined. And here is how we do as Arminians. We say this, which is the opposite of Calvinist. We don't have to get too deep. Just worry about Jesus anyway. Um, but, but we say this. Or I, I say this. I say that that the Lord has given his people free will. So the things that we see in history, we don't pin those on God, we pin them back on ourselves. The Lord didn't cause World War II. The Lord didn't cause the Holocaust. You did. I did. We did. He has given us free will. He's given us choice. In fact, we see this in Scripture. We see all throughout Scripture that God has given us choice. Literally, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where, where God is, is, has placed Adam in the garden and he, and he begins giving him a job. Now he tells him one specific rule, right? If, if he was an automaton with no choice, the Lord wouldn't have to give him rules and give him choice, but he does. So here's what happens. And the Lord God commanded the man. He said this, you are free. Everybody say free. You are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Any tree in the garden. How many trees were in the garden? I don't know, but because of the character of God, the goodness of God, I would suggest that he stacked the odds highly in favor of man not failing. He, there was probably five billion trees and God said, here, let me just take you to this remote part of the garden. You don't need to go there. This whole garden is gorgeous. You have this whole world to, to, to navigate. But let, let me just move you to this little garden here. This one tree, don't eat from this tree. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You will allow death to enter into my perfect creation. You will allow uh, possibilities like the Holocaust and things like, like, like murder and rape and all these horrific things that humanity has ever accomplished. You will allow those things to come into the earth if you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So stay away from that tree. But by the way, Adam, I have, stock, I have stacked the odds highly in your favor. You don't have to fail, right? But we did. We chose to fail. We, we, we chose to allow our situations to grow from good to evil. And we also see in Revelation, literally from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God gives us the freedom to choose. In Revelation 3.20, he says, here I am. And the reason why I use Revelation is because I want you to see Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Lord is consistently bringing this here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that word if is a condition, 
meaning you can either do this or not do this. It's a choice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, chooses to open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God has given us choice. So you may be walking through a situation and a circumstance that that maybe you made a choice and it has led to an unfavorable result. Maybe you chose to to cheat on on, on your spouse and now you are in this situation where there is uh, a messy messy thing happening. No matter what sin, no matter what situation you are currently navigating, even if it was a decision that you knowingly made, I still believe because of the goodness of God that he can transform any situation. He can transform any situation by the grace of God, no matter what you are navigating. If sin was involved or if sin wasn't involved, the Lord can transform any situation. Now, why do I bring this up? Why the theology lesson? Because it's important for us to understand that the character and the goodness of God is available for us today. And when we fast and when we draw near to him, we are opening up our lives to say, Lord, come in and transform me. Not only does he transform you and I, but he transforms our situation. So fasting brings situation transformation. The first thing we say, I want us to understand is this. Fasting has the ability to transform fear into favor. Fear into favor. There is a story in the Bible. Uh, by, it's the story of Esther. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and uh, turn to Esther chapter 4. I'm going to quickly summarize the story. But in Esther, we start in verse 1. It says this, When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes put on burlap and ashes and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. What? Not, not a wail like a, you know, an orca wail, but like, anyway, uh, a crying wail. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. What happened? What, what, what did Mordecai just learn? What, what, what situation just unfolded in his life? What situations was, was, he, was he experiencing that had caused this? Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, in, in the story of Esther, we have a man by the name of Mordecai who is a good Jewish man who is currently living in, under the, the rule of the Persian kingdom. You see, when, when the Lord had allowed Babylon to come in and invade the Jews and brought them to Babylon, we find out in the story of Ezra that many of them went back, but those who stayed and remained, we find their story in the book of Esther. Now, they were Jews who tried to their best of their ability to worship and honor the Lord, uh, but they were still living choo- knowingly and, choo- and chose to live under a, another king and another kingdom, which is why it's ironic. If you ever read the book of Esther, uh, it's almost like the author intentionally added this note, but there is never once the name of God brought up in the book of Esther because the author is trying to suggest that here are these people, the people of God, who although they, they could be and should be living closer to God, they're living in this kingdom that is not their own and they are still making decisions that somehow God is coming. And even though they, they don't evoke his name specifically, the Lord is coming in and bringing transformation. It's a beautiful story. But in this story, Mordecai uh, is, is the cousin or uncle or adopted father of a woman by the name of Esther. Esther is gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's so beautiful, in fact, that she ends up becoming the queen of Persia. She marries King Xerxes. And at this point, 
Mordecai gets lifted up and raised to an official position. Now, there is another evil person in this kingdom. His name is Haman. And Haman is, a, is an official who demands people to worship him. Right? So he'll walk into the, into the house or into a home or he'll walk into the streets and everybody kneels before him. Everybody but Mordecai. Because Mordecai remembers what his parents told him. And he said, you, you worship the Lord your God and no man. Right? So, so Mordecai refuses to bow his knee, his knee in worship of Haman. And Haman resents Mordecai to the point, to the fact that he goes to the king and says, King, these Jews, they don't acknowledge our gods. They don't follow, follow our rules, our laws, and our decrees. Let's kill the Jews. Let's kill them. And I don't know if, if King Xerxes was drunk, because if you read this story of Esther, he drinks a lot. The dude's drunk all the time. So he issues a decree that every single Jew can be killed, and they roll a dice, and the dice lands somewhere, and they end up telling him, like, okay, on this date, this is when it becomes free game. We can wipe out every single Jew. And Mordecai uh, learns about this decree. It's sort of like a year and a month later. From that point, a year and a month later, the Jews become open game. Anyone can go around and hunt them down and, and, and murder them without any repercussion. In fact, they get rewarded if they do. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible story. So it's so, it's so uh, d- d- devastating that Mordecai learns about this. We pick up in Mordecai, Esther 4. He learns about all that had been done. He tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. He's trying to get the king uh, to, to kind of recant and turn away from his position, and he's trying to, to find justice, and he can't express it in no other way but mourning and weeping and wailing, and he's crying. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces of the king or of the nation of, of Babylon, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people laid in burlap and ashes. Verse 15, then Esther, the queen, an adopted daughter of Mordecai, sent this reply to Mordecai, and she says this. She doesn't change her clothes. She doesn't put on burlap and ashes. She doesn't join in with those mourners and wailers, although she is devastated. She says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, and fast, and fast, fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I, as the queen of this nation, will go to the king. Because at the time, the king was, was, was deity. He was God. Uh, you couldn't just approach him. You needed an invitation. So for her, even as the queen, to think she could just march into the presence of the king was, was, was liable of death. It was, it was worse than treason. She said, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now the story transpires into something beautiful. Something beautiful. Through this season of fasting that she, I mean, I mean, we're fasting and there's many serious things we can be fasting, but nobody has issued a decree that anybody that looks like you and talks like you and believes in the things that you believe in is, 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 is uh, liable to death. But they were facing that. And her first resort was not 
How can I get the Second Amendment? How can I get these injustices rewritten? No, her first resort, and I'm telling you, friend, the first resort we have and should take serious in any point of injustice, in any time of fear, is drawing near to God. That's what the fast is for because he changes, he transforms fear into favor. What transpired in this fast? Eventually we see that the Lord spoke to Mordecai or, or, or the, the king, King Xerxes in a dream and said, hey, I want you to set these, uh, you remember that guy Haman or you remember that guy Haman and, and Mordecai, you know, how good of a guy Mordecai was and he's like, yeah. So Haman comes in and he's like, what should we do to Mordecai? He's like, well, he's, he's an honorable guy. He saved me many times. He said, go and take Mordecai on my royal horse and put on royal robes and usher him around the city. We see injustice transpire. The, the king eventually, uh, it was against the law for any king. Once the king has spoken, the king has spoken. There's like literally the guy from Mandalorian, I have spoken. Like literally that's what happened. Um, he, the moment he issues a decree, some of you that aren't watching Star Wars or any Man, Mandalorian, but those of you who are, you guys are awesome. Baby Yoda's for everybody. Um, there's something that happened. When, when the king speaks a decree, they can't take that back. So the king issued another decree. And he said, on that same day when the Jews will face death and oppression, I'm issuing a decree that they can also defend themselves, that they can fight back. And the Lord gave the people victory. But where did that all start? That they, that they try to find and fight their own battles? No, where did it start? They fought their battles on their knees in repentance through prayer and fasting. From what situation are you facing? What dire need do you have? I'm telling you, if you have allowed this fast to just become something where you just kind of, you know, tease your friends about the pain and suffering that you're going through and, oh man, I'm sorry, yeah, it's been really hard. Or are you using this as, as a season to draw near to Jesus? Are you allowing this to become a time where he transforms your situation? And the Lord also allows this to be a season where, where any pressure that we face, he will bring protection. The Lord protects us. Why, why are you fasting? I think the greatest thing we can do in our moments as we close here is to just allow the Lord to speak to us about the situation in our life that we are experiencing. For you, maybe it's an addiction to sin. Maybe there's a sin issue that you are, are navigating. Maybe it's a, something about the way you make decisions and uh, character. But what is it? What, what is it that you are, are inclined towards leaning on? That you know that if that was not there, you would trust the Lord that much greater. I believe this morning he wants to transform hearts he wants to transform minds so let's take the next two minutes Bethany's going to sing a little bit of worship but I want us to just sit in our seats and just reflect Lord what, what is it in my life that if I gave you full control you would transform Jesus we welcome your presence into our lives Father, we know that your objective in this season that we find ourselves, 
not as individuals, but collectively as a church, drawing closer to you. Father, we pray that you would transform us. We pray that you would change our passions to the things that that bring you glory and honor. Father, if there is any among us who have just fallen victim to the same sin time and time again, we pray deliverance in the name of Jesus. We pray that during this season of fasting that we, we shift our, 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 our desires and as we shift our, our, our diet, may you also shift our heart and our mindset. Come in and transform us from the inside out, Lord God. That when we look back at this season of prayer and fasting that we find ourselves in, that when we look back, we will see that, that we are individuals who love you more who serve you deeper, who go the extra mile to loving our neighbor. Lord, we don't want to be individuals that just look at what's happening around us and and demand change. Lord, we want change to happen inside of us so that we can lead change. Help us be transformers in our workplaces, in in our schools, in our homes and households. Lord, may you rewrite the trajectory of our lives because we are praying and fasting. May you turn fear into favor, persecution into promise, spiritual weakness into renewal. Do it in us, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just take a moment and praise the Lord for his transformative power in our lives? Thank you, Jesus. Move in us, do a work in us and through us, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Be with every single person. Lord, I pray that this Wednesday when we meet for prayer, that you would, that you would do great and mighty things among us, God. Bless every single person under the sound of my voice. May we, may we be encouraged to lead lives for you. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday. Can't wait to see you. 6 o'clock for dinner, 6.30 prayer. God bless you guys. See you next week. And that wraps up today's message. But we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.